are here for a reason. This news just in. We are your news now. Right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right On Radio. You are here for a reason. Yes, this is Jeff coming to you today. I've got a very special broadcast for you. Unfortunately, we had a super guest lined up, but the guest did not make it. So we're going to improvise. But, you know, to improvise i needed to think about what is the best thing to go to put out there now a lot of you know about some stuff that is going on a lot of you know what is going on and something just didn't seem right last friday and then there was another video that came out on sunday and it seemed like one of our favorite people was i don't know being attacked Can I just stop for a minute? Can a podcaster stop for a minute and just think? Oh, come on. People, I'm going to have a lot to say at this about this. Now's not the time. There is a time coming. There's a time coming soon. And there's going to be a lot to come out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems those with big mouths and A lot of bravado. Well, might just find out some things. Sad, really. It's actually very sad. But I want you to know I've been praying for that person. And I really want things to work out well. For everybody. This world needs healing. People don't need to always be so cynical. And it's nice to be able to trust someone. But when someone breaks your trust, what happens? Well, I'm going to... Jesse's prepared something that I think is just fully appropriate for today. And I know you're going to really enjoy it. Um... So I'm just going to get a couple things out of the way real quick. Uh, Listen, folks, we need your support more than ever. Uh, Jesse's uh, PayPal is, uh, or or Patreon uh, link, I believe, is uh, going to be in the description box. And and for, listen, for what it's worth, uh, you know, I need your support as well. So I've got a patron. Uh, She has a uh, Patreon. but, you know, if you don't want to contribute to us, obviously it's voluntary. Uh, but we do try to minister to you. We try to, you know, give you good intel. And uh, we're in the thick of a fight right now. And uh, we also have a merch shop, rightonmerch.com. Uh, we put together courses. So, you know, if you wanted to support us, we can give you something back. Um, that's right on you, right on with the letter U dot com and uh and every any way you can help us out would uh it's it truly is appreciated so listen without further ado i'm gonna put on 
something Jesse did that was actually so beautiful and uh, and it's called trust. Enjoy. We'll see you in one or two days. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio. Again, we're going to have a rough week. We're going to have maybe a rough little more than a week. And But there's tremendous light at the end of that tunnel. Hi, this is Jesse Zaboder with Illuminate the Darkness. And this morning, the Lord put it on my heart to share um, a piece of information that I had um, given to some individuals when I when I began turning over my information federally and um, the Lord just really put it on my heart that to share this, because this, it, it shows where we're at as a nation. A lot of people are really struggling right now and particularly we're struggling with trust. And I want you to know that I wrestled with this too. And from the very beginning, you know, when I began sharing my testimony in full Um, that struggle was there. It was very real. And draining this swamp has not been an easy feat. And I believe that there are faithful hearts that, and that those people have gotten this information to our president. And if not, um, you know, I believe that the Lord put all of this upon our president's heart. As the president's made clear from his heart, We have a president who knows human trafficking is not only an unconscionable evil, but an epidemic in the world today. And I want to share this because I believe it really shows, you know, how far these few good men have really brought things, um, you know, from, from the very beginning. I am now the only journalist authorized to report exclusive content for the Pentagon Pedophile Task Force. And... There is one person between me and President Donald Trump. And that person meets face-to-face with President Trump and his wife, Melania. And, um, you know, the question that remains is, will we trust the plan? So what I wrote was called Trust, and it was written to a listening ear. So I'll just begin. As I fasted this week... I prayed through one of the greatest struggles and challenges for me through all of this, trust. As I have shared before, this is not something I ever learned to rely on in this world. Pretty much the only person I do trust is the Lord. The struggle began when I was asked to rest and be still in the lifelong fight against the swamp. And in that, I felt silenced. I've shared that the Lord has told me that I will speak forth my testimony and he's called me to do this and to do it right before the faces of those who serve Satan. As a child, I've always heard the cries of the captives and the men and women who serve in the Illuminati. Spiritually, I hear their heart cries, but I also hear their heart songs, the full potential of who they are if they choose to follow the Lord. I hear those cries of these people, and the hardest thing to do is trust. Feelings are not something we know, nor are they taught, nor are they ever shared. 
The only feelings okay to ever express are anger, sadness, or goodness. I was taught to always distrust, to question everything, to look for the second, the third, the fourth layer in every single thing done. Even when things sounded and appeared to be going in a good direction, the ball always dropped somewhere. There was always a nasty turn, a game, a twist. So seeing all this in my heart is what I found myself feeling and waiting for. In this world, every decision always leads to someone's death. So now I see our president meeting with pastors about trafficking and prison reform. I'm seeing the direction he's preparing, the path being paved, and I'm excited. I want to rejoice. And at the same time, there are so many mismatched feelings and thoughts. My heart hopes for so much, yet I deeply question, is it really true? Could that plan really include healing for those who have been bound by Satan? Would the government really invest in their deliverance? Would the government really bring these captives to the hope of Jesus Christ? Would the men and women in our government really offer these captives true healing, true deliverance, not putting band-aids on deep infected wounds, but true healing, true life in Jesus Christ? The Illuminati are so good at their games, their cover lives, the dual way of living, that I struggle, I deeply struggle to trust. I feel like I can't trust those coming out. I struggle to trust those helping to bring them out. I long for the trust to be there. I long to just do it. But I can't get the thoughts out of my heart even after I've given them to the Lord. I see too many red flags. And with each red flag raised, I automatically go to that default of distrust just waiting for the bombs to drop. So I'm left asking myself, what do I need to be able to trust others? I know the Lord has not designed me to function alone, so what do I need to be able to trust? With the government, because so many people I've known in the system are involved in the government, it gets harder and harder to trust. As a deserter, I know the consequences my life will only last as long as they still feel I have purpose for them. Do you know five times I tried to turn in what I know to the government starting at age 10? Guess what happened? Nothing. It was swept under the table. I was told to be silent, even though it involved the murder of children. When all you have seen is the wicked, it's so hard to believe that there are a few good men and women. As good as this work that is happening looks and knowing how deep the system goes and the layers and the depth of evil, how can I trust that those currently serving in the government won't just toss me aside and see me as expendable, that they won't toss the captives aside once they are out of the darkness and deem that we are unnecessary to the community as a whole and choose to live without us? I long for the body of Christ to be one with the body as a whole. At a personal level, at a church level, at a community level, even at a national level, I long for that oneness, that togetherness, but I've never experienced it. 
and worse, I've never felt it could ever happen. Even deeper comes the fear that those who, who broke or tried to get out or report, they always send us the gatekeepers. I personally didn't experience this, but I observed it at work over and over again, that those who um, came out were sent the Illuminati therapists, the mental health workers, whose job it was um, to control, to maintain the information about the system. How can I trust that the government is not going to hand us over to these people, these therapists that keep the hearts and minds of people in bondage through so-called therapies and medications that never bring healing? These therapists tell lies. They tell people that they have mental health illnesses and diseases, when in fact these clients tell the horrific truths of what they have endured and experienced. We speak the truth about things that we've seen and heard that others do not want to acknowledge nor admit, and most of all, no one wants to believe. These therapists do not deal with the real problem. They tell people that they have hallucinations and they give them medications because they do not want to rebuke and break the root problems which are demonic strongholds of oppression and possession. Is the government really willing to deal with demons, to rebuke, to bind, to give freedom to these captives from the supernatural bondage? In truth, do they want to see the captives set free and offer second chances to those who come out of this thick darkness? I even question if those who claim to want to come out really do, or is it a game, an act to gain access to get rid of what is set up by the few good men and women? I am thankful for your listening ear, because do you know how many times I really tried to tell? Even after I believed my training partner and his two-year-old brother and grandfather who were killed in the fire were dead, there were police that I tried to tell in our city. Then there were higher government officials. The story was always the same. Evidence is hard to corroborate. The danger is too great. If you want to live, the best thing is to remain silent. Do you know that it was that fire, the day my training partner died, that I made a promise to the Lord? That promise was that I would never serve Satan. I would never remain silent. No matter what it took, I would reveal the truth I would always tell. So when turning to police and government did not work, I tried a different route. You would think that the church would be a good shot because all of those people believe in the devil. I was certain they would believe my story. But do you know what happened? They didn't even want to hear it. The moment I mentioned Satanism, the conversation ended. I was told by my pastor and youth pastor to stop lying, to get real, and to start telling the truth. Now, in all fairness, these two men really do love the Lord. They were God-fearing men that became prime examples for me in how to follow in my walk with the Lord. They taught me that I could trust. Those I could trust were those who read the Word of God spoke the word of God, and lived the word of God. So that is my only measure, my only standard in all this. If someone can't meet all those things, I can't give them my trust. 
But going back to the church, I learned other things that hindered my trust. The greatest hindrance was that it was okay to tell very watered down stories of one's life, but it was never okay to share the truth. It was never okay to share that you had experienced abuse, that you suffered depression because you could not share with anyone the traumatic, horrific things that you had experienced that there were no words for, or that your experience of warfare with demons every day of your life, um, and nobody wanted to believe it, nor stepped up into the battlefield with you. And not being one to be silent, I never stopped trying. When I attempted to be brave and bold and to share with them anyway, even after being warned that the things I wanted to share were not on the church's approved conversation list, that they did not want to hear my real testimony. They would only listen if I found ways to water it down significantly. So in those brave moments, even when the Lord divinely planned them, I was wounded, deeply hurt, and treated like I had a disease. Every time I tried to tell my story, I lost friends, whole churches, and community acquaintances. At one church, the pastor had no idea what my testimony was, but asked me to give it before his sermon that morning. So I did. I spoke about my being born into Satanism and how I came out to Christ. And and do you know what his sermon was on that morning? His sermon was titled, Satanism is Real in America. Pretty divinely planned moment, don't you think? Yet do you know what happened after I shared? The whole church shunned me. They literally stopped talking to me in person or by phone, and the fellowship I experienced with them immediately stopped. It was made clear through the whole nonverbal language that I was no longer wanted or desired in that church, and I was sharing about coming out and the redemption of God, sharing how my life is a living testimony of just how much God loves people, even those in the deepest darkness. But this is not the greatest wound those churches caused. The hardest to endure is when they play the free will card. If you tell the truth and admit that you have involvement or experience in Satanism, you are automatically labeled with a big fat sticker put right on the center of your forehead. And it it changes them. It changes the way that they act towards you. And they want nothing to do with you. They can't believe that people can really be set free. Now, there are some who do. When we talk about the system, you know, there are some that willingly want to be involved in the Satanism. But that percentage is really only about 5%. The other 95% of those who are involved in Satanism are forced into servitude. Satan has his ways. The horrors of his tactics to meld one's will to his are unspeakable. He goes after the heart until one is so numb that they become action figures, always acting, always doing as he commands, forgetting that they have their own thoughts, their own free will, the ability to make their own choice, And they can make that choice without someone dying or suffering horrific abuse or blackmail. When all is said and done, 
Those who come out of the darkness just want one thing. We want Jesus, and we know him only by his word. We want to experience the Lord. We want to know the healing redemption and the life promised. And more than anything, we want to live it. But without trust in others, it's impossible to get to this point. Because more than anything, we want to experience Christ among the fellowship of believers. But the majority of these 95% will never vocalize that desire. So my friends, thank you for listening. And when I say to you, I give you my heart, I want you to know that it's a statement made with the highest respect, devotion, and willingness to serve you wherever the Lord should send us to go. It means that I have your back in prayer and in all things, and I'm giving you my complete trust. But as you know, we all fall short. There's times that I question I question the red flags. Everything that I grew up knowing overwhelms what I what I hold onto through the word. So at those moments when I ask you to give me your heart, it's not because I don't trust you. I believe you are good men and women and I know your hearts. But in those moments, I need you to I need to do more than just believe. I need to experience your hearts. Here's the deal with the the little kids uh, and what's coming up out of um, underneath those tents in Central Park is they're bringing children up. But the problem is, is the babies and the children are dying when they get to the top. Um, It has something to do with oxygen and they, they... um, they're not all dying, but a lot of them are dying, and so it's really hard. Uh, they got the tent set up in a certain way, and another thing is that, that this, these kids and these babies cannot even be exposed to the sun for a second. Um, they're just dying. It's killing them because they've lived underground in this thing, in the pitch dark down there. And um, so what I'm told is they're trying to actually get the ventilators down to the children down there, but then there's a problem with electricity because... Um, I guess electricity isn't, that's a problem, trying to hook all these uh, ventilators. They got to, because they have to almost like start working on the on the children before they even bring them up. We're looking to uh, produce over 200,000 ventilators by the end of the year. We've uh, sent many ventilators to Latin America. We've sent many ventilators to different countries in Europe, Africa, and all over the world. We've We're making thousands of ventilators now a month. We started off with essentially very little, and we've become a ventilator manufacturer, so to speak, and we're helping a lot of of countries. We've sent them to France. We've sent them to Italy, a lot to Italy. We've sent them to Mexico. We've sent them to Russia. Moscow's having a tremendous problem. And we've sent them to a lot of different countries, many. And uh, we have a full supply in our country. The amazing thing is we started with very few and not one person that needed a ventilator did not get a ventilator. So that's a pretty amazing statistic. Uh, We're going to be helping uh, very soon when the supply really starts pouring in, which is uh, which started, but uh, will really start about uh, less than a month. We're going to be helping other countries and uh, they need it very badly. They have no chance without these ventilators. They have to have ventilators. 
that I've been an RN for 20 or for 17 years. Under normal circumstances as a nurse, I would have an idea of a treatment plan. And unfortunately, I was not afforded that comfort in the beginning of this pandemic. These were not normal circumstances. There were times of trial and error and a whole lot of prayer. I had to adapt to a new way of nursing. One where treatment was still unknown. One where families had to trust my word and I had to prove that my word was trustworthy. One where I could only provide comfort by holding my patient's hand because I could no longer give comfort with numbers and statistics of success rates. Those were unavailable in the beginning. I provided families comfort through FaceTime calls, holding my phone up to a patient's ear, hoping that by hearing their loved one's voice, it would in turn give them comfort as well. This experience has been one of the most emotionally challenging things that I've ever been through, but it has made me a better person in the end. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We are beginning to see progress and we are starting to see stories of success. There's tremendous hope as we look forward and we begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Stay focused and stay strong and my administration and myself will deliver for you as we have in the past.